Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis with the number one show at 5 o'clock. This is a TriCast, and, and uh, we are, have one great show for you today. We talk about it that... We break information. Even the KGB listens to us to find out what the heck is going on. <laughs> Don't forget and, Chinese intelligence. And, and Chinese intelligence <laughs> and the Iran. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we, in the studio with us, we have two common sense uh, Democrats. We have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, two common sense Republicans, Tony Carbonetti and Craig Eaton. And they're ready to slug it out. And, uh, and there is breaking news. And Lydia Serrani, of course, on my side. Yes, and I'm an individual. Breaking news coming out of Saudi Arabia. Jamie Dimon is there, the head of J.P. Morgan. And I understand he's saying that things will work out with Saudi Arabia. With us to talk about it, we have Steve Moore, one of the top, country's top economists and, uh, and a co-host and a host on WABC. Steve Moore, what the heck is going on in Saudi Arabia? Hey, John, good to be with you. And don't forget, 1 p.m. every Saturday afternoon, the More Money Show, so on uh, WABC Talk Radio. Uh, Look, I think what's going on is that, uh, first of all, the Saudis for the last 40 or 50 years have been profit maximizers when it comes to their oil. So they they almost always do what's in their own economic interest, no matter who's knocking at their door. On the other hand, they also realize they have an important strategic alliance with the United States. And so... um, I think that the Saudis uh, are going to um, maybe delay a little bit uh, when they uh, stop, you know, with their, uh, you know, cut back on their oil production. But I will say this, though, that this would all be unnecessary. This whole discussion we're having, John, if we were simply producing the oil and gas that we have, if we were doing a drill baby drill strategy, which we had under Donald Trump, because then it wouldn't matter what OPEC did or what Saudi Arabia well, did. Maybe Chinese intelligence is, is listening in to find out if anybody's violating their, uh, their uh, oath that they're going to do the wrong thing by us. Well, <laughs> good, good, good point. And if you really wanted to hurt the United States, you know, here's the thing, John. Think about what you just said. Other countries hurt in the United States. We're hurting ourselves. That's the point. We're taking a gun and we're shooting it right into our foot with this energy policy that puts America last. We cut our energy production. All the other countries, including, by the way, China. I want to make sure your listeners know, John, that right now, as we speak, China is building 35 massive, massive new coal plants, bigger than anything that's been built in the United States. They're not concerned about climate change. They're concerned about taking over the world economy, which is their mission. Did they ask they John have- Kerry's permission? <laughs> <laughs> what, what treaty are they abiding by? Yeah, maybe John Kerry will have to j- jump on one of his Lear jets and, and uh, emit all that carbon in the atmosphere while he flies over to Beijing to get some of the stop. But the point is, you know, the, the, these countries are going to do what they're going to do. Uh, we have some influence over them. I do think the Saudis, um, you know, they like 80 90 $100 a barrel oil. What are we at now right now, uh, John, with the price of oil? 80 Uh About 85 
$85 a barrel. It so went down as low as 76 and then the Saudis panicked. By the way, in That's the studio right. with us, we have Tony Carbonetti, who is a, yeah. now a former chief of staff of, of Rudy Giuliani and now in is a registered... I'm a registered foreign agent a, a registered for the state of Florida. foreign agent. <laughs> okay. So tell us, and he just came back from the Middle East. No, I'm going on Friday. Going, and tell us what your intelligence tell us, tells us. No, I think, Steve, what you're saying is correct, that the Saudis can put out more oil whenever they want, and they've always used it historically to their advantage. When they come to us, it's always for missile defense. The Iranians just attacked us on a drone strike at Aramco, and they turn, they, they come to us for the arms. If, if we didn't exist, where would they be? Yeah. Okay. Part of Iran. Part, part of China. They, they'd be part of China. They'd be the oil emissary for China. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, exactly. So, so they need to have an alliance. We've always States. had a great alliance with them. Put aside some of the personal issues with with the current uh, crown prince, but they are a, a a valued ally. But they need yep. to act when we ask for something. You know, when we need you know something, what? they need to step yeah. up. But they made fun of President Biden when he was there. They gave him 100,000 barrels. Mm-hmm. Which is nothing. Which, <laughs> nothing. Which, is, which is nothing. And they made fun of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm agreeing with you, John. When we ask them to put out more, they should put out more. Because they come to us when they have yes, a problem they don't and trust, we defend them. They don't trust the current administration in they Washington. Don't. Exactly. And they've said that plainly. Bingo. I, I agree well, with you. I, I, I agree with you, too, John. I mean, look, there's an old saying that goes back to the Reagan era that weakness is provocative. We have a weak president, and it pains me to say that. It pains me in the stomach to say that, but we simply do. And I think the whole world learned a lesson when we, you know, put the tail between our legs and and our exit from Afghanistan, the fact that we won't stand up toward the bullies around the world, um, and we won't stand up for our allies. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Saudis are doing what they're doing. I don't think they have a lot of respect, John, do you, for this president? They don't think Biden's going to take out Soleimani. They don't think he would have done that. Yeah, Mm. that's right. You know, so if they have no faith that we're going to be there for them, I understand. But as the president, when he goes and asks, they need to step up. They really do. Yes. Tell us, we got another minute or so left. Uh, what can we tell the American people? Jamie Dimon says that it's all going to work out. I believe it's going to work out, but uh, they're mad as hell. What the hell is going on? You would lose, Steve? Oh, sorry, I thought yeah. you were asking. No, that. I'm asking you. Someone else. So, what was the question again, John? That uh, that uh, that Jamie Dimon says everything's going to work out oh, with right. the Saudis. And I believe well, really, it's, I, I believe Jamie knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I just hope that's not wishful thinking on his part, you know, that the Saudis will step up. And by the way, look, the Saudis are the most important country in, uh, in OPEC. But remember, we're also empowering the Russians. We're also empowering the Iranians. We're also, uh, you know, empowering the Venezuelans. Uh, think about this, John. All of the countries, not all of them, but most of the countries that have significant amounts of oil are countries that are enemies of the United States. Saudi Arabia is kind of unique in that respect. And you're absolutely right. Well, Steve Moore, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll be talking to you again real soon. Uh, we'll yeah, talk yeah. to you before you go on Saturday at 1 o'clock. 
Yeah, good. Thanks. On WABC. Yeah, we got a great audience, and John, thanks for the opportunity to do it. And I hope none of the Russian or Chinese spies were listening to what we were just saying. <laughs> they, they were listening. <laughs> let's see what happens. Uh, let's go. Uh, we right now we have. Uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, a leading constitutional lawyer in the country, Harvard Law School emeritus. Did I say that correctly? Emeritus. Emeritus. I always say it wrong. The leading voice in the support of Israel in his latest book, his 50th book, I believe, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Professor Judge Weinberg, what do you have for uh, Alan Dershowitz? Professor Dershowitz, I, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Nobody's talking about it. But the more you watch President Biden and his inability to... Uh, comprehend the situations and to articulate. I'm very concerned. Is it time to start looking at the 25th Amendment to the Constitution? No, it's not even close. First of all, the 25th Amendment is for a really total disability. It was based on Woodrow Wilson's stroke uh, or, you know, some president being shot and lingering. It's not based on you know, a president. I don't. Any of you remember President Eisenhower? I don't know if any of you are old enough. Uh, he was a great president, but he, you know, couldn't articulate a sentence. He was. He had a great deal of difficulty with his words. And compared to Adlai Stevenson, for example, who we ran against, who was so incredibly verbal, but uh, he was a he was a great president. And of course, Ronald Reagan, in the last years of his presidency. There were questions about him as well. 25th Amendment was designed really for something else. And and the proof of it is that in order to invoke it, you have your own cabinet. It can't be the, the other side invoking it the way impeachment can be done. It has to be your side, your people, the people you trust the most invoking it. So I think we're pretty far away from the 25th Amendment. And we have an election. Uh, the people will determine uh, because, you know, Joe Biden is up for election this year, too, uh, not directly, but his presidency is going to determine a lot of people's votes. Professor, this is Craig Eaton. But even when you watch him, when it's getting progressively worse, my concern is, can the country survive the next two years with a president like Joe Biden? Well, I think it can. And, um, you know, I, I have a different assessment of him. I've known him for now 42 years. And when I first met him campaigning for president, for, for then Senator Ted Kennedy, who was running for president against Jimmy Carter, some of the same issues were evident uh, back then. Now, of course, when you get older, things get more serious. But, but I just don't think he's at that point yet where we have to worry about governing um, the country. I think he's making his decisions, um, some right, some wrong. Uh, but we need stability. We don't want to become like England, where they've had how many prime ministers in the last few weeks, or Israel, where every week they seem to be having a new election. Uh, stability is really important. And uh, we're having an election. Probably the House of Representatives will turn to Republicans and uh, we'll have a split, probably have a divided government. And, uh, you know, that's what the frame is. Alan, uh, this is David Patterson. The other time that the 25th Amendment is invoked, as I remember it, reading it, is that when a president's having surgery or is unconscious at a period of time. There's no question about that. When you have, I mean, even a colonoscopy, you're under for a couple of hours. You have to be replaced. But that's done automatically with the consent of the president. The other part of the 25th Amendment is over the objection of the president when his cabinet says no. And he says he says, I'm fine. And then it goes to a vote. It's a complex mechanism. And it's 
very, very difficult to use. I don't think it will ever be used in a situation like this one. I think it's really reserved for the extreme situation where there's not even a plausible ability to uh, to govern, and it should never be used in a partisan way. Professor, uh, because it can't be weaponized. Yeah. Professor Dershowitz, uh, what do you think? The you know we have an election coming up in fourteen days. Yeah. Um, any, any any gut feelings of what your concerns are, what happens in the world? Are you, you think everything is going to go right with uh, absentee ballots and et cetera, et cetera? I'm very worried. I get worried very much about absentee ballots. I worry about um, electronic voting. I'm involved in some cases challenging some of those issues. We have to have a situation where every American is satisfied that the result is fair. Right now, look, I think the result of the last presidential election was fair, but something like 30 percent of Americans think it's not. And there's, that's not a good situation. So the companies that do the electronic voting have to be transparent. They have to be willing to put their mechanisms on public view so that people can analyze them. And we have to have more of a debate about whether or not absentee ballots should become as routinized as they are. When I was growing up and when all of you folks were, an absentee ballot, that was for the Army. If you were serving abroad, if you were a diplomat, or if you were in the hospital. But today, many people vote absentee and vote by mail, and there are risks there. So we have to balance the benefits against the risks. But the important thing is for people to be completely confident that the results are fair. We don't have that at this point. Alan, it's Tony Carbonetti. Can, can I ask you a Hi. question? Why do sure. we have to be computerized? You know, well, we, we all know that anything yeah. can be hacked. We've seen yeah. it. We've seen them turn cars off. Uh, at these these hack shows they have around the country, they've seen them turn a car off, turn a car on on the highway. They can hack into your bank account. Why do we have to be computerized? It's an election. I completely, I completely agree. And if we're going to be computerized, it has to be backed up by paper ballots, which have to be subject to being counted by hand. You know, we'll go back to yes. those days in Florida where the hang yes. is But at least people counted them. You can uh, count votes in one night. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah, everything is. And, and if it's two nights or three nights, big deal. We're, we're too impatient. Uh, you know, there were times when it took a week to determine an outcome of an election. It's better to do that and be right. slow and be certain than to be quick and then have doubts raised about computers. So I'm, I'm on your side. I think every computerized ballot should be backed up by a paper ballot. Professor Dershowitz, I wanted to pivot to a major New York State court ruling. The New York State Supreme Court reinstated all employees fired for being unvaccinated. Uh, It even ordered back pay. What is your reaction to that ruling? Well, it's not surprising. What often happens in these situations is that while the crisis is ongoing, courts usually stay out of it. But now that it looks like the pandemic hopefully is on the way out, hope there isn't a new one coming in, then courts can more thoughtfully evaluate the situation. And, you know, people should not be fired. Uh, You you can have certain situations where you have an obligation to wear a mask or an obligation to be vaccinated. But in general, there shouldn't be consequences for people who are prepared to make their own decisions, foolish as those decisions might be. I think everybody should be vaccinated. Everybody should wear a mask. But that 
that has to be an individualized decision, except in extreme cases. Professor, what the uh, state Supreme Court justice ruled was that it was beyond the power of the mayor to issue an executive order on that, and it was beyond the power of the commissioner of the Department of Health to... Uh, He's 100% to... right. And, uh, the de- you know, literally in March of 2000, I wrote an article saying governors don't have the power. Mayors don't have the power. Presidents don't have the power. It's the legislature that has the power. And we're seeing that challenge now from the top down. We're seeing presidential orders being challenged, obviously, the uh, loan uh, uh, ending. The student, the student Everyone loan. had pandemic power. Yeah, that is being challenged. We have to make sure we keep to, keep to our separation of powers. Legislatures legislate, executives enforce the law, and the judiciary determines whether the laws are unconstitutional. But we have too much executive legislation, too much power to mayors, too much power to governors, too much power to presidents. And that has then, to go then back Alan, to uh, what did you yeah. think of... The uh, the state of emergency declared by Governor Cuomo, and then every 30 days he renewed it for uh, the rest of the time that he was there. But what do you just think of the legal aspect of the governor taking that power? You know, in, in the 1970s, I wrote a long law review article about uh, emergency powers. It was based on Canada declaring a war emergency act after somebody was kidnapped by the uh, Quebec uh, liberation, whatever. Uh, emergency powers are overused. Martial law is overused. Um, we, we should reserve those extraordinary powers for wartime, for times of great, great crisis. They shouldn't be used uh, as a substitute. It, for it's funny, in the New York State con- uh, Constitution, one of the great crises that they cite is our forest fires. That was a big deal back in the late 1700s. I can imagine. I can imagine. And look, uh, I, I have a letter, a handwritten letter, uh, dictated by George Washington in the hand of Alexander Hamilton, who was his 22-year-old assistant, saying, we're not going to lose the war to the British, but we may lose the war to smallpox. And therefore, every single member of the armed forces has to be vaccinated, and they were primitive vaccinated, wow. vaccinations back then. But here's wow. George Washington in in 1777. Mm, same problem. We need that. Yeah. So Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and thank you for all the wisdom you give the American people. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. And now we have some other special guests on the line. Craig Eaton, you can uh, take that microphone right now. Our here. world, uh, Craig Eaton, our world is coming to an end in uh, in New York. And all three uh, candidates You've got three important candidates from your old haunting house, Brooklyn. Yes, John. Can Brooklyn make a comeback and have some common sense? Brooklyn is trying to make a comeback. As John always says, in, in the studio here, we're not Republicans, we're not Democrats, we're not conservatives or independents. We're common sense individuals, and it's no secret we need change in Albany. And that's what we're trying to do with these three candidates that are on the line with us. We have Dimitri Kugel running for the Assembly. We have Vito LaBella running for the Senate and Joe Tyrone running for the Senate. All in Brooklyn, Joe Tyrone's district also takes a little bit of Staten Island. So let's start. We have about three minutes each. Let's start with Dimitri. Tell us what you're passionate about in this race, Dimitri. Uh, Hi. um, My passions are that, you know, my neighborhood, my district, my city that I grew up in, has changed for the worse. Uh, the crime is out of control. Um, you know, we're seeing these cashless bails. Uh, these these criminals are being let out the following day, or you know, in a worst case scenario, two days. 
and they're going to do it again. Uh, my district has been hit plenty of times by petty theft. Uh, we have business owners complaining that, you know, on a daily basis, they lose three to $500 in goods. And then these guys come back the following day and do, do it again. So losses for a small deli of three to $500 are incredible. Dimitri, um, you're a successful businessman, entrepreneur. Tell us a little about, about yourself. Well, <laughs> I was brought here from Ukraine, USSR. Uh, when I was about six years old. Been living in Brooklyn my entire life. Uh, public school, you know, student. Uh, went to Kingsborough, went to Long Island University. Uh, have a degree in accounting and finance. Have been running businesses, some of which are really, really, really huge. And I understand how this works. You know, you have a small retailer uh, trying to, you know, make ends meet. And then they get robbed. So whatever went for food for, for the family just walked out of the door. So this is what bothers so, me the uh, most. Are, are the business people in Brooklyn mad as hell and you can't take it anymore? I mean, uh, you, you have to get the votes, the people that are really upset at what's going on, and they want to change in Albany. I'll tell what you say more. You? Not only are the business people mad, but the consumers are mad as hell, too. Because now it takes me 45 minutes to get a stick of deodorant at Rite Aid because everything's locked up. Yeah. Well, you know, we wish you luck, Dimitri. We're there for you. We'll be out on the street with you between now and Election Day. And uh, good luck. Next, we have Vito LaBella running in a new senatorial District 17, which covers parts of Bensonhurst, Gravesend, Bath Beach, Sunset Park, and other parts in Brooklyn. Vito is a 32-year veteran of the NYPD. Vito, tell us a little about yourself and what, what you're passionate about. Craig, John, thank you so much for, for uh, having me come on. So, yeah, 32 years in the police department, 24 as lieutenant. Uh, all of that time in the Transit Bureau, Transit uh, Police Department back in the day. And um, look, when I started in 86, as you all well know, crime was through the roof. And uh, with Giuliani and, and Bloomberg, we got crime from super high levels in the 80s, late 80s to to really, 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 really low levels in 2016, 2017. Some years in the transit subway, we had we had one or two murders. Now, what are we up to eight this year? And that doesn't include all of the quality of life. Um, quality of life problems that we see in the subway right now. In addition to the index crimes that are all the way up in the subways, these these quality of life issues are not even being addressed because what um, what the uh, what the Dems did is they took away the tools that the police department had used for years and years. They took away the tools to address these conditions. And uh, the two things that I'm passionate about is is reducing crime and also improving education in uh, in New York City. And my kids were blessed to go to G&T programs, all three of them in Brooklyn Tech, great specialized high school. And the same way. Wait, wait, wait. That, yeah. Tech, alma mater, molder <laughs> of men. <laughs> <laughs> He's a proud graduate. We got a love fest here going this. on between the tech Brooklyn grads. Tech, yep. <laughs> Well, you know, the same way that they dismantled all of the 
all of the tools that the police use, they're trying to choke the life out of the specialized high schools. They're trying to destroy gifted and talented education. Uh, and they're doing it in such insidious ways that you have to constantly fight. And so those are the two things that I'm fighting for. I'm trying to reduce crime and get back to the, the meritocracy that we should really reward for our kids so that the next generation of Brooklyn Techites can really thrive and really change the world. Well, you know what, Vito? Keep fighting. We're behind you. We'll be seeing you tomorrow. We'll be on the and campaign give us your trail website you. if people want to help. Yeah. And, and third, uh, third, we have Joe Tyrone, uh, a professional realtor, great guy from Staten Island, running in a district, uh, Diane Savino's old seat, where she's retiring. It's part of Brooklyn, a larger part in Staten Island. Joe, tell us about your race. Tell us a little about yourself and what you're passionate about. Sure thing, Craig. Thanks, Craig and John. Um, actually, Diane isn't retiring. She's going to go work for the mayor, but I'm not sure at what capacity. Uh, but I am, um, first and foremost, a small business advocate. And my family owned a shoe store actually here on Staten Island for over 60 years. And in today's environment, um, if someone opened up a similar shop, it wouldn't last 60 weeks. This is just horrendous. This is a really bad environment for business. And, and crime is one of the issues, but um, it's just a really bad financial climate right now. And I'm a small business owner for over 25 years. Um, and that includes now where I am the uh the lead for the Joe Tyrone team for Compass. Compass is a nationwide uh, real estate uh, company. And before that, I worked on Wall Street for 10 years. And I have my BBA in accounting from Pace and uh, my MBA in finance <clears throat> from St. John's. So, um, yeah, we do want to bring common sense to Albany, but we also want to bring business sense. I think there's a financial tsunami that is brewing, and we need business, uh, uh, business-minded people like myself um, and Vito and Dimitri uh, to go up to Albany and give a different perspective because this one party rule um, is really just destroying the American dream. It's, it's destroying everyday life and people are fed up. I was listening to, you know, Dimitri talk and Vito talk and, uh, and your comments. And it's true. The petty crime is out of control. And we have a, a district attorney here, and I, I listened to him speak at some function about a week ago, and he was saying how great things are, and Staten Island isn't that bad. And uh, and uh, I, I disagree, you know, and, and, and Brooklyn has its issues, too. You know, where when I walk the district, Ellison, and I talk to the In your district, the number one issue that people are mad as heck about, and they're really talking about it day, day in, day out. Well, the, the, it's crime for sure. It's 100%. It's crime and it's also inflation. You know, and, and going to the store, going to the supermarket and seeing what, and the, and the gas station, it's, it's, it's totally out of control. And every single aspect of life is turned upside down. And with crime, what's absolutely, it's just inconceivable. And give us your website so people can help you. Sure. It's Joseph for Senate with the number four, Joseph for Senate. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate that. And also just real well, quick. Joe, Joe we're running out of time. Vito, what is yeah. your website? And, and, um, and also, Dimitri, give us your websites as well. Vito Labella for New York.com. Vito Labella for New York.com. And Dimitri? DK4NY.com. DK4NY.com. The letter you know, four? The number four. The number four. The yeah. number four. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, you know, what we need to we need to change Albany. We need to change the Senate and the Assembly, and you guys are doing a great job. I was at events for them over the last week. Keep the fight. Keep going forward, well, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Keep working hard because we want law and order in our boroughs, in our cities. And uh, we're going to... 
It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. With us today is the number one senator that a U.S. senator in New York ever had. We have with us Senator Alphonse D'Amato, and he is mad as heck of what the heck is going on. The election is 14 days away, Alphonse. What the heck is going to happen? Well, John, if we get the message out as to what has been taking place, we can defeat the incumbent governor and, and elect Lee Zeldin governor and bring about the kind of changes to bring safety to our community instead of this nonsense of, oh, we're going to keep people from carrying guns into Times Square. And how do they do that? Because anyone who has a license to carry a, a pistol is now prohibited from doing so in Times Square. They're not the problem. The problems are the unlicensed, the illegal guns that are going into our subways, going into our neighborhoods, going into Times Square. For God's sakes, wake up. But you want to know something, John? The biggest thing is, is that Governor Hochul has presided over the biggest giveaways in state history. And when I talk about giveaways... I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are actually going to the billions. Uh, look at number one. Hopeful signs an emergency order and suspends the normal competitive bidding process, all right, uh, uh, for testing kits for COVID, okay? And he does this rather than the purchasing through the regular state contracting procedures through the Department of Health, where they buy them through a series uh, um, of bids. They put out bids. But what do they do? No. They suspend the bidding rules, and they give a $637 million order for test kits, right, without a bid. $637 637 million. Well, it just turns out, just by coincidence, that this company that gets the contract, first of all, doesn't even manufacture uh, uh, these uh, uh, test kits. It's called Digital Gadgets. $637 million. Oh, by the way, they only contributed $300,000 to her campaign. Wow. I understand that, but here's the bigger problem, uh, Senator, that they agreed with mayor. You suspend. Wait a minute. You suspend uh, uh, competitive bidding, and then you you pay double. And by the way, we pay double the price, $637 million for the testing equipment that California bought for 50% less. Senator, the more important thing right now. They have yeah. nobody wants to ride the subways. They hired. They're going to have twelve hundred, twelve hundred overtime cops in the subways. Yeah, and it's only well, going well, to be what good is it if they can't arrest anybody? What good is it if they can't arrest anybody? Well, if, yeah, you arrest them and they're right back out before the officers uh, are, are are out of their precinct. They're released, and and and, and we need a governor who's going to get rid of this district attorney, Bragg, who cuts them loose. But when you say 
we got to worship. But four thousand police wait, officers. Yeah, wait a minute. Have 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 quit in the last what period yeah. of time? Last year. Over yeah, three hundred million dollars of taxpayers' money, federal and state dollars, are 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 stolen. They're stolen because she got a three hundred thousand dollar contribution, and then she went ahead and hired the owner's son. You get this? The owner's son to work on her campaign. What the hell? Our state is for sale? Is that what we've reached? Yes, yes. And, and <laughs> let me ask you this. What about the almost billion dollars, 800 and some odd million dollars for the stadium up in Buffalo? But don't worry. Her husband doesn't work for the Buffalo team. He just works for the concessionaires who, make, who will make millions of dollars taking care of that stadium. He's a lawyer whose law firm represents them. What the heck are we doing? $637 million at an average cost of $12.25 per test. It twice the amount that was paid by the same manufacturer. I understand that. I understand the, the money is so important. But uh, wait a minute. Being wait able to go down now, to the subway is very important, steal, too. <laughs> if you give away through a no-bid contract, you suspend the rules because you got $300,000 in campaign contributions, and the people of the state and the federal government have paid over $300 million, don't you think that the attorney general of the state, that the U.S. attorneys in, 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 in our, in our uh, uh, state, that the attorney general should be taking this up? I mean, what are we kidding? You call, you talk about play to pay? There's never been a case. I mean, Cuomo and every other politician are choir boys compared to this kind of a scam. No, we understand. Uh, Senator, I understand how mad you are. But my number one concern is people are dying in the streets of New York. People are dying in the subways. And and what Dinkins did, along with uh, uh, Peter Vallone in 1988, uh, 1989, 1991, 1991, they hired 6,000 more police officers to help. 1,200 uh, police officers on overtime. They're going to get tired in three weeks. Yeah, but you right. need the, to one of the bigger problems is. So you can get rid of the district attorney, Bragg. Because he says he will get rid of him. That's the district. Fourteen days to the election. Manhattan. What do you tell? We we got the thirty seconds left. What do you tell the people of New York? Vote for the right people and make your city safe. Make your city safe and make sure the politicians don't give away your taxpayers' dollars for political campaigns. I mean, this is incredible. We pay twice as much for the same drugs that they did in California, manufactured by the same firm. This firm made, and it didn't manufacture them, they're just a, a supplier. Thank you. They made over $300 million. We're out of time. Thank you, Senator D'Amato, and, and uh, thank you, and we'll have you on again this week because we're all mad as hell. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show where we get all the news that you need to know, right? And we have the guests that that you can't get anywhere else. So now we have with us Benny Basio. He's the president of the Corrections Officers Union down at Rikers. Uh, Benny Basio, how's it going? I know your your guys have been worked to the bone and they are fear in fear of their safety as well because it looks like the inmates are trying to run the asylum at this point. 
Yes, 100%. Uh, nice to have me on. I appreciate you guys having me on, as always. Look, yeah, I mean, it's a really crazy time for us, and it seems like the uh, inmates have all the rights, and uh, criminals have now a safe haven in New York State because many of our legislators have basically, you know, you know, made this a safe haven for criminals. There's there's no consequences for crimes in New York. There are no consequences for uh, crimes in jail on Rikers Island. And we need a governor who will finally declare war on crime. You know, support the men and women who keep our jails and our streets safe and invest in our essential first responders. We need a leader who isn't afraid to stand up for public safety. And that's why we've endorsed, you know, Lee Zeldin for governor. Wow, that's a big deal. Be- Benny, it's Tony Carbonetti. I just want to understand. Hey, what, so you're saying that we're still not rearresting people that commit crimes on Rikers Island. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's correct in a sense because, yeah, they're being rearrested, but then the case just sits. Right. So we have tons of, of backlog cases. So in essence, nothing's really being nothing is happening. Inmates are being rearrested, but then they're not being, you know, charged. They're being charged, but nothing's happening um, for their crimes. And we need consecutive sentencing. So this, you know, uh, the whole. Are the DAs the protecting your officers? Are, are, are they are they uh, re-prosecuting inmates that attack officers on the job? No, that's the that's the main problem here, because these cases are sitting in the Bronx DA's office. And that's why we need, you know, this this bail reform. We need this ended. Uh, You guys know what's going on. People are getting pushed on the subways. Um, Crime is through the roof. And if there are no viable consequences for actions of the citizens in our city and and inmates in jail, then this crime Lee Zeldin has said Lee Zeldin has publicly said he will hold the district attorneys accountable. So if they don't prosecute, he will hold them accountable and remove them. And if the inmates have no deterrent, if they know that they can hit an officer, they can hit a fellow inmate and do whatever they want, and there's no repercussions, and that's why they run wild, and that's why you have complete anarchy, and your guys are doing, what, triple quadruple overtime. This is just not sustainable. It's putting the inmates safety at risk. It's putting the corrections officers at risk, and it's putting all of New York State at risk. And Benny, what about the whole issue of taking them out of general population and segregating them to protect the other inmates and and staff and the officers? What do you say about that? That is a major problem for us, right? That's why we need the the Holt Act repealed. Um, basically, and and you know what we have as punitive segregation in our city system, which they like to call solitary confinement. So you know, right now it's like if you cut somebody, punch somebody, you know, assault, injure people, there are no consequences anymore because of these policies that many of our city council members, like Jamani Williams, wants to pass. You know, our governor enacted the Holt Act. And, you know, we need Lee Zeldin to repeal that and and to to stop, you know, this notion that um, we need to be safe, in other words. Right. And there has to be consequences for actions, because if there's no consequences, then this is the end result. Um, We can't sustain this. We're doing one hundred and fifty hours a month of overtime because the city council um, decided not to approve additional funding for officers in in the budget. Um, we can't continue to do less than with more with less. 
and we need help. And we believe that Lee Zeldin at the top in Albany will be the one to help us. We need him to be elected as our next governor in New York State. Benny, this is Craig Eaton. I just have a question for you. What is the current status of closing Rikers Island? Because I know a lot of a lot of our listeners, you know, are not happy with the position of the city to now take the criminals off of Rikers Island and put them in everyone's community. Yes, that's a major problem, right? So they want to close Rikers by 2027 and go to a borough-based jail system. Now, the problem with that is um, right now we have 6,000 inmates in our custody. The borough-based jails will only cap out at 3,400 in bed space, right? What do you do with the rest of the overhaul and no one has a crystal ball to know how much crime is going to be at that time. So this is what they want to do. And once again, where do we put violent offenders? Where, where are the consequences for violent people that are committing crimes in our city? They just want some of our elected officials don't believe we should have jails, period. It, it's, it's, it's the most insane. craziest thing I've ever heard of. It's insane. This, so this maybe they'll adopt going. the inmates. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should take them home with them. They're going to put them on (laughs) Randall's Island or in Gracie Mansion. Was that your idea, Tony? Can you imagine? Thank you so much, Benny Bassia. We have to go to a hard break. And thank you, as always, for telling it like it is. (laughs) And, uh, you know, keep on telling the truth. And I hope you and your guys stay safe. Thank you so much, everybody. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news coming from Staten Island, from uh, Borough President Vito Fasella with the latest on the investigation of that 14-year-old boy that was shot outside of Tottenville High School. Vito Fasella, what can you tell us? Uh, good evening. Uh, yeah, I just left the school, and for those who followed Tottenville High School, unfortunately, it seems like the young boy who was shot uh, appears to be not the intended a target or a victim uh, is going to be okay. There's um, uh, great news for him and his family, so that's the priority. The other is, um, you know, what's what's been happening? What across the city, across the state? Uh, there's random acts of violence. We per- they believe it's a good chance. Let's put it that way that this may be sort of a gang-related issue that is spewed over to a school. And, um, you know, we just hope that the New York City Police Department responded, as always, uh, in great form. The students, uh, the administrators at the high school are doing the best they can under the situation. Uh, but we need to ensure that when somebody does a bad thing, there are, there are consequences. And too often, you've got bad people roaming the streets and allowing to, to shoot at innocent people. A parent's worst nightmare is a kid walking home from school and getting shot. And frankly, on Staten Island, we're, we're pushing we, and we want and demand zero tolerance on things like that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Vito Fasella, for that breaking news report out of Staten Island. And we, we are praying for that boy that it, and we hope that he's OK. Thank and you so much. And on the line with us from Albany, we have Fred Dicker. Fred, why is everybody up in Albany? Why, uh, why are they afraid to challenge the, and have our city safe? I don't think they are, John. It depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about the New York City legislators who come up from the city to Albany party and raise money and then go back home. That's one thing. But upstate legislators increasingly are concerned about what you're describing because upstate cities are racked by crime, just as New York City is. 
And Fred Dicker, we were talking about that guy that shoved the other person on the subway, you know, that viral video. That suspect, he has almost, I think it's 30 arrests, 10 of them sealed, some of them attempted murder. He is the poster child for bail reform. I've also just learned that he's being remanded pending a psych evaluation. What do you think that kind of video, those crimes are having an impact on, on the race, specifically the governor's race? Powerful impact. Kathy Hochul's in trouble. A couple of hours ago, the Albany District Attorney, David Soares, the Democrat, basically ripped Hochul's claims that she's doing a lot to fight crime. It's become the number one issue. And on a per capita basis, many listeners might be surprised to hear many upstate cities like Rochester and Syracuse have a higher rate of crime shootings than New York City does. I mean, it's a serious problem around the state. And our lawmakers are all Democrats are not appropriately, not properly addressing them. Fred, it's Tony Carbonetti. I'll I'll bet you right now that if Hochul's people are listening, they're sending about a dozen of those no-gun zone signs right to Vito's office to put up around that school to protect those kids. You know, those signs really work. (laughs) Let me tell you, Hochul's people are running scared. I was around in 1994 when Pataki beat Mario Cuomo. Nobody really thought that could happen. We have the same feeling now. This tremendous energy for Lee Zeldin. I, I, I agree with you. I think Lee is saying the right things. I say I think that when he talks about being forceful, when she mentions gun laws and he says, well, it's not the law. It's the district attorneys that don't enforce the law. It's the criminals, too. How about put them behind put bars? Put them behind bars with the DA yeah, has to do put, it. If you put the criminals behind bars, the 3,000 that the uh, police commissioner was talking about, you know, what, what do we call them? Repeat offenders. Recidivist. Violent offenders. Correct. You know, there's, a, there's a real truth out there that they don't want to confront. The overwhelming number of these repeat offenders are African Americans, and the Democrats are very, very loyal to a black constituency. I don't care they what they look like. They war on legal gun owners. They're warring on white people who often vote Republican, so it's easy for them to do that. But Fred Dicker, the majority of victims are what color? Absolutely African-American. There you I go. I mean, that's what's the tragedy of the whole thing. These people who claim that they represent the interests of African-Americans, the black elected officials, are doing just the opposite. If they were really representing their interests, they want every criminal with an illegal gun put in prison. Fred, no, nobody asked Vito what color that little 14-year-old boy is, and no one Absolutely really cares. Not. He's no, a 14-year-old kid. who it was. Right? He's a 14-year-old kid. That's at school. He should be protected. We don't care the color of the suspect or the victim. We just want people to be safe. Right. And we don't even talk about the culture that's producing all of this, because that's sort of, you know, uh, you know, anathema. You're not allowed to talk about it. No, you're not allowed to talk about it. So what where do we go from here? Do you think the rest? I mean, we know upstate New York kind of maybe what way it'll go. But do you really see that groundswell, that support for Zeldin right outside in New York City and right outside of it? Just a quick anecdote. I was talking to a top union official in New York, public employee unions. He said they're scared because there's no excitement for Hochul. In the city Good. of Albany, six to one Democratic, there are no signs around for Hochul. There are quite a few signs for Lee Zeldin. No bumper stickers for Hochul. There's a sense that people don't know Jeez. who she is and there's no enthusiasm for her. We want, uh, we want New York City, New York State safe, and that's it. And uh, Fred Dicker, thank you for calling in. Thank you for advocating safety for our people. And you know what we stand for on this show? Truth, justice, justice and the American way. God bless America. God bless New Yorkers. We need God's blessing. Thank you.
It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.